Transformation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malkanji. talk about Christians and demons. Christians and demons. Can a Christian have a demon? Can a Christian be demonized? Can a Christian be under the power, full power, full dominating power of a demon? All of this, I'm going to talk about it on today's broadcast. And guess what? I'm not adding any experience to this teaching today. Everything that shall be discussed will be from the Bible. And I need to preface everything that we're about to talk about today uh, with that one statement of truth. The Word of God is our standard for believing. This is our system of belief. This is our system of truths that should drive our beliefs, drive our doctrine, drive our faith. Experience has its place, but it can never override sound Bible teaching. If you agree with me today, type amen in the chat. Matter of fact, let's make this, com- this confession. The Bible has the final say. Write that in the comment section. The Bible has the final say. The Bible has the final say. Experience is good when it lines up with the Bible, but if my experience or what I've seen or witnessed does not line up with the Bible, then I am not going to let it guide and drive my belief system. Paul in Romans 6 talks about a system of truth that he has set up through the epistles. The epistles is a system of truth that God moved on holy authors, holy writers to pen these words down so that we wouldn't be lost. We wouldn't have to just make guesstimations as to who God is, how he operates, his ways, uh, and and certain, certain things that we see, but that we can look through the lens of scripture to evaluate life to evaluate Christianity, to evaluate our experiences, to evaluate everything. You know, I did not let somebody's idea of whether God heals people still today drive my belief system because it's not something I've seen in the Bible. I see from the Bible that God still heals the sick. God still is doing miracles. God's desires that whosoever would touch the hem of the garment by faith would be healed. And as many as touched Jesus were made well. And he went about doing good healing all that were oppressed of the devil. If I had believed some people who just had an experience over what the word of God says, then I'd still be sick. But I believe what the word of God says far above anybody's experience, no matter how sincere they may be. And I don't want to offend anyone today, but no matter how sincere, matter of fact, I want to offend somebody today. No matter how sincere your experience may have been, no matter how um, real the feelings were, if it doesn't line up with biblical truth, I throw out the experience. Let every man be a liar, the Bible says, but God be true. So let's get into this teaching today. And I want to start out by reading Ephesians chapter 6. This is going to help a lot of people. A lot of people are not going to be happy, but that's fine. You know, I'm not doing this to step on anybody's toes. I'm not doing this to call out any preacher. I am not like that. I think if you followed my broadcast, 
for long enough. You know I'm not that spirit. That's not my spirit. I am not name dropping. I have great friends, great friends that are sincere lovers of Jesus Christ who don't believe quite like I believe. And that's fine. I'm not calling them out. If you think in the back of your head that I'm specifically challenging this guy's doctrine or that girl's doctrine, I'm not. I have nobody's doctrine. I have nobody in mind. I just have a doctrine in mind. I have nobody's face in my head. I have not watched a bunch of other preachers' uh, YouTube videos and just took out a pen and notepad and just started scribbling down things, angry at them that they're... No, I'm not like that. I told you I have very good friends that preach the opposite as to what I'm about to preach today and that's fine that's okay look maybe uh, maybe you've been sitting under other people's teaching what I'm about to bring up today is challenging everything you've ever heard that's fine listen I've always said this if your confidence in the position if your confidence in the position you hold from scripture and your, your confidence is very strong then you're not going to feel challenged or attacked or anything by somebody else's position or point of view you're, you're you'll be open to hear so if you have had the opposite teaching downloaded into your heart and that's what you've always believed you should be open to hear what i have to say from the scripture and like i said we are going to start in the scripture we are going to stay in the scripture and we are going to finish in the scripture and this is going to be the guiding force for today's broadcast so i want to start out by reading ephesians chapter 6 Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, this is what the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You know, isn't it interesting that Paul says, be strong in the Lord? He says, I give this commandment, be strong in the Lord, which shows you that there's the possibility of being weak in the Lord. There's people that are in the Lord, but they're weak in the Lord. And I really believe from today's broadcast, a lot of people that have been weak in the Lord are going to rise up to be strong in the Lord, to carry the authority Jesus paid a high price for you to carry so that you're not going to be a, some community prayer project. You're not going to be some uh, lost soul just wandering through this life bombarded by demons constantly feeling like you're on the attack or being attacked but rather something's going to get into your spirit that you're going to have a firm confident assurance of who you've been made to be in Christ Jesus your identity in Christ and what your life should now look like because of the cross and the blood of Jesus what it's afforded you be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. That's where the Word of God comes in. The Word of God is the nourishment for our strength spiritually. You get the Word in you, it nourishes you so that you are strong in the Lord. If you're just a praying Christian but you don't got the Word, you're not going to be strong in the Lord. You need the Word and prayer. You need the Word and the Spirit in order for you to grow up. If all you have is the Word, you'll dry up. If all you have is the Spirit, you'll blow up. If you have the Word and the Spirit, together you grow up. And the Word and the Spirit agree. These two agree, the Bible says. They're not contra contrary to one another. They're not opposing one another. The Word and the Spirit, they work hand in hand to accomplish God's will. Hallelujah. To make, and what's God's will? For you to be a strong Christian. For you to be a dynamic, Holy Ghost-infused, Spirit-filled, fire-eyed demon terrorizing christian that's who god wants you to be and i'm telling you this one teaching that i'm speaking on today has the power to make you a devil master overnight hallelujah this 
powerful broadcast that I'm bringing to you today from the Word of God has the power to make you a devil master overnight. Some of you have been under the oppression of demons for far too long. Today, you're rising up. You're rising up to do the oppressing. You're rising up to do the attacking. You're rising up to be who God called you to be. One who is casting out devils, not wondering or worrying about whether there's devils all around or within. One who's casting out, who's doing the work of the ministry. Put on the, so how do you do that? Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So notice here how Paul brings up our warfare to be not against flesh and blood, not against some president or government or political party, but our warfare is to be geared against spiritual hosts of wickedness, rulers of darkness, principalities, and powers. He's speaking of the kingdom of hell, the kingdom of darkness, and the individuals and entities, demonic entities, that pertain to that kingdom and to that power, to the powers of darkness, whom the leader is Satan. So Paul is not ignoring the reality of demons. Demon exi demons exist. Demons are real. You know, you have two sides of the spectrum. You have one side and one extreme where it's demons are everywhere. Demons are in everything. I spilt my coffee yesterday and I got wet. It was a marine spirit that caused that to happen. I mean, it's just... There's demons in everything. I, I got into a little fender bender that was a, a, a car demon, a demon, a, an accident demon that was trying to get me. Bless God, it was only a little fender bender. Everything's a demon. Or maybe it's because you picked up your phone and you didn't look up and you slammed the guy because you were sending a text. Maybe, just maybe. So you have that side of the spectrum where everything's a demon. The, you know, I'm very wary of uh, preachers and Christians who... The only thing they've seen in the spiritual realm is demons. I went into that place. I just saw demons everywhere. You ever seen an angel? No, don't even want to look like. All I see is demons. It shouldn't be all I see is demons. All I see is demons. Every, every time they speak about something they saw in the spiritual realm, it's a demon moving. It's a demonic entity moving. That's, that shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. I'm very wary about that. People that see demons in everything, every single day. And I know I'm offending people and good good. I would very much like to offend your doctrine. I don't want to offend you. I want to offend that doctrine. I want you to get, because my heart is to pull you out of that place where you're constantly just battling through life, always superstitious. And you know, there's a, the extreme end of that doctrine where it just generates and creates a, a body of superstitious Christians. They're not strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. They're superstitious. They're, they're, they're weak, always worried, walking around, paranoid. Any doctrine that creates paranoia is not biblical. It's not biblical. If the doctrine, if the preaching of the word does not generate, faith comes by hearing the word of God. If the preaching of the word does not generate faith, then it's not the word of God being preached. If it generates paranoia, there was one guy I was listening to, and by the way, this guy that I'm talking about is dead. 
He's dead and gone. But I was listening to him. My wife and I was like, let's just, he's like the father of this movement. And I, 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 let me just listen to him. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe, maybe he's caught something that I'm not seeing. And I listened to him. And I just remember my wife and I, we're just like, man, it's paranoia. It's paranoia. Oh, man, do I have that? Oh, man, do I have that? I got angry with somebody once. Do I have a demon of anger? So there's that side of the spectrum where everything's a demon. Everything's the devil. It's just this blame game that's going on. No responsibility for self. No crucifixion of the flesh, which we'll get into that. No mention of stronghold of the mind and the responsibility of, our, of us as Christians to renew the mind by the reading of the word of God and put on the spirit of truth and, and, uh, and keep up the sword of of uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the, the, the word of God. No, no, no mention of that. It's all just blame game. And so there's that side of the spectrum. But then there's the other side of the spectrum where nothing's a demon. Where we don't even bring up the reality of demons. And then we have a bunch of people in the world and even those in the church that are being attacked by devils and are suffering some sort of issue because of a demonic origin and because we don't ever bring it up those people are heavily starved deprived and they have nowhere to turn and that's why you see a lot of them going to crystals and a lot of them going to fortune tellers and palm readers and trying to engage the devil's camp for a deliverance that they don't even realize that's the source of it all so i want to bring a balanced approach to this today a balanced approach. Ephesians 6, Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There is a spiritual realm beyond what you can see, hear, touch, taste, feel. However, he doesn't say, so good luck. He moves on to say, but you can take up the whole armor of God. Because he's talking to believers here. You can take up the whole armor of God so that you can stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And he says, stand having girded your waist with truth. Stand having put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is the understanding of your righteousness in Christ. And the inability, inability for the devil to ever suck you back into condemnation. Having shod your feet with the gospel of peace, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. So it doesn't say, yes, there's demons. Now you're going to have to fight them your entire life. He says, no, there's an armor, a spiritual armor you can put on where you're not a victim anymore. You can actually move on to be more than a conqueror. You can quench every fiery dart of the devil. You can put down every oppression. You can break off every chain and you can stand. When everyone's falling, you can stand. And that's my prayer is that through this broadcast, if you have stumbled, if you have slipped, if you have fallen, if you are crawling through life on barely getting along street, that today you will stand. You will stand being strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So we've established the existence of demons. We've Mark chapter 9, Jesus went to uh, come down the mountain and this man came with his son who the, the man said, I brought my son to your disciples to cast this demon out. But they couldn't do it. 
But I'm bringing him to you now. Could you do something? If you can do anything, help me. Jesus didn't say, no, no, no. You guys are such primitive people. Oh, you're primitive. You don't understand. One day, modern science will catch up and you'll see that this is not a demon. This is epilepsy. It's going to be, it's a very common thing, you know, seizures and epilepsy. And, you know, actually, Brother Luke, Brother Luke, we have a physician here and I've given him some sort of concoction he can drink. It'll soothe the epileptic seizure whenever it does come on him. And, you know, when a man came to him that was blind, or rather that was deaf and mute, he didn't say, yes, deafness and muteness is a part of the curse of the law. It's part of the fall. No, he didn't. He cast out the deaf and mute spirit, and the man spoke and heard. And then when the man came with his son that was uh, convulsing and foaming at the mouth, becoming rigid. Jesus didn't say this is just a normal thing. Don't worry, there's nothing in this. No, he said this is a demon at work. He cast the demon out. He took authority over the demon. I have cast demons out. I have taken authority over demons. I have seen people slither in my services that were not saved and they came to receive Christ and when I prayed with them, they fell to the ground. Foam that I've seen it. I've seen foaming at the mouth. I've seen slithering on the ground. I've seen people lash shout with demonic voices and little little tiny women who would speak like grown men angry grown men growling at the mouth I've seen it I've seen it we've dealt with it we've cast them out so I'm not coming from a position today where we're trying to uh, make people ignorant of the devices of the devil I'm just trying to shed more light on this topic we believe in the existence of demons and number two we believe in the commission for the believer to go and cast out demons you are, Mark chapter 16, the Bible says, they that believe on me, these signs shall follow. They will cast out devils. They will cast out devils. So we have a commission. We have a mandate. It's not an option. You need, and Lester Sumrall said it before Jesus comes back, that there would be the necessity of teaching on deliverance because there'd be the most amount of people that would be bound by demons in that day and in that hour, darkness covering over the surface of the deep. If you think there's nobody demonized and possessed of devils in America, I mean, you haven't turned the news on. There's all kinds of that going on. And Lester Summerall prophesied in the 70s or 80s that the church would need to revisit this teaching so that we can be best equipped to do the work of ministry and do what Philip did when he went to Samaria, cast out devils, heal the sick, proclaim the gospel. Hallelujah. Jesus commissioned his disciples and said, Go now, I send you out as sheep among wolves, but I give you power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to have power to heal every kind of sickness and every kind of disease amongst the people. And I want this broadcast. I've always prayed that this would be training grounds. You know, we could easily sell. We could sell our e-courses. We could sell all this stuff. We're not selling anything. We give the word for free. Because my heart is to train people up. I want to train people up to be best equipped to do what God's called them to do. And I don't mean just, you know, the call to this career or the call to do that, open up this business. I mean the fundamental, the general call to every believer. You have a specific call, but the general call is you have to preach the gospel. You need to heal the sick and you need to cast out devils. And this will equip you today. So let's go through the four levels of demonic attacks or the four levels of influence demons may have over a person's life. Number one, and I'm going to give scripture, number one is in Acts chapter 5 verse 16. Acts chapter 5 verse 16. 
Let's read from verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people, now take, the, take note of this, and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Those who were tormented by unclean spirits, Acts 5.16. If you study the Greek in that specific passage, the Bible says that they were okleo by unclean spirits. The word there, I know the thumbnail here is diamonitsamai, and we're going to get into diamonitsamai and what the Greek means. But the relationship of a demon and an individual is not always diamonitsamai. It's not. Because there's some people that teach where it's just demonized, just demonized. We don't even talk about possessed. We don't talk about oppressed. We don't believe in oppression. There's only one thing. It's diamonitsamai. But that's simply not true because a proper study of the Greek in this passage shows that they were not diamonitsamai by unclean spirits, which means to be under the power of or to be fully dominated and controlled by, but they were okleo, O-C-H-L-E-O. And what does okleo mean? Strong's Concordance and other resources that I've studied, okleo means to be tormented by an unclean spirit, as we've read, to be disturbed, to be troubled, to be molested, or to be harassed by an unclean spirit. To be tormented, disturbed, troubled, molested, and harassed by unclean spirits. This is done from the outside in. There is no access point where the demon got into that person. It does not say they were in those people's minds. Because torment, obviously, is we're talking about the torment of the mind. Which, I will say this. Can a Christian be okleo, harassed, troubled, disturbed, tormented by a demon? 100%. Yes. Unequivocally, yes. A Christian can be okleo, tormented by a spirit. I've seen it. I've seen it. You know, to answer the question, does a Christian need deliverance? Yes, some Christians need deliverance. And we're going to get into what they need delivered of. Do, are there Christians that are troubled in mind? You'd have to be living in, uh, what is it, Narnia to not understand that there's Christians that are tormented in their mind. There are Christians that battle suicidal thoughts sometimes. There are Christians that battle a spirit of poverty that torments their mind. They're afraid to spend money. There are Christians that battle anxiety, which is a torment. They have panic attacks. They love Jesus. You can't tell me that they're not saved. They love Jesus. They love God. They're, they're born again. They read the Bible. They pray. They've repented of sin. They've put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're sanctified and washed. But they still carry, they, they still have this outside torment because they haven't cast down the stronghold of the mind. We're going to get into that. But I want to go through these four levels of influence that demons exercise over individuals. 
I've seen this. I've, I've had a lady that came to my meeting who was tormented by a suicidal spirit and anxiety. And she would take all kinds of medication, take all kinds of medication to try and subdue and reject these thoughts and just soothe her mind. And she would smoke pot and anything she could do. She came into the meeting. We, uh, she was saved. She, 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 she answered the altar call. Uh, she, she was prayed for, everything. But she kept battling this thing. My wife spoke to her after and said, you know, is there any unforgiveness in your heart? She said, yes, I have unforgiveness. I, I, I will never forgive my, I think it was her father or grandfather. I'll never forgive that person for what they did. And she said, well, you need to deal with that before you can get, before you can get set free from this. Because, you know, Jesus said that the one who is unforgiving, I will deliver to the tormentors. That's not just talking about hell. That's talking about here. So can a believer open up a door for a tormenting spirit to come in? Yes, unforgiveness does that 100%. Unforgiveness will open up a door. Bitterness towards another will open up a door for a tormenting spirit to come in, settle in, and give you panic attacks, give you depression. That demon never entered into your body, though. That demon never entered into your soul. That demon never entered into your spirit. That demon is exercising a level of influence over your mind from the outside, influencing your thoughts to a certain direction. Number two... Number two level of influence is Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Well, I don't believe in oppression. I only believe in demonization and, 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 and deliverance from people that are, or from demons that the Bible says they're under the power of a demon. I don't believe in the word oppression. I don't see that in the Bible. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed. By the devil, for God was with them. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, whom, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So we can see here that the originator of the oppression is the devil. So this is not a natural or a normal attack. This is not a result of just normal living. This, there is a spiritual side to this oppression. There is a spiritual source to this oppression. And if you study it in the Greek, the Bible gives you the word katadinesteu. I won't have you spell that in the comment section. But katadinesteu. Of the devil, oppressed by the devil. Katadinesteu is the word there used, which we translated oppression. Notice how it's not daimonitsamai, which shows you that if someone is suffering a demonic attack, resistance, or affliction, or harassment, or trouble, it's not always daimonitsamai. They don't always need a demon cast out of them. Sometimes it's, we need to break the power of a devil over one's life that the devil's been or the demon's been exercising. Katadinesteo does not mean that the person is under the power of a demon or that that person is filled with demons or possessed of a devil. Katadinesteo means to exercise harsh control, and this is important, over one. To exercise harsh control over one to use one's power against another to oppress if you study the original greek so luke in writing acts 10 38 documenting um what peter was preaching to cornelius's household 
Peter said, and now he had firsthand witness, he said there were people that didn't need a demon, demon cast out of them, but there was a demon that was exercising a harsh control over the person's body or the person's mind. What do I mean by that? I had OCD. I had obsessive compulsive disorder. I was not demonized. I did not have a demon in me. I never manifested a demon. I never spoke in a different voice. I never had a manifestation where something came out of me. That never happened. I got saved in the month of May 2012. And then months later, when I heard the full gospel preached to me, that he heals our sicknesses and carried our pains and by his stripes were healed. Some of you know my testimony. I saw in the word of God, I was in my living room. There was no minister flinging oil on me. I, there was no puke buckets. I wasn't throwing anything up. Just hearing the word, I received the truth, which remember Jesus said in John 8, 32, those who are my disciples will abide in my word and the word, the truth that they abide in will set them free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free and the, the freedom that you experience whom the son sets free will be free indeed. That word indeed is a complete, total, nothing needed, added freedom. Hallelujah. And so when I came to the knowledge of that part of the redemption of Christ that it wasn't just get me to heaven one day. It's save my spirit, forgive me of sin, heal my body, touch my mind. And I saw that, I saw Jesus with OCD. I saw him as my substitute. When I saw that from the word of God, I didn't have a demon come out of me. I didn't have any of that manifestation. I was not demonized or possessed of a devil. But what happened in that moment was catadinesteo. There was a demon that was exercising a harsh level of control over my mind and my thought life and had sowed so much deception over me that there was a stronghold built in my life. There was a level of control, a power that was being exercised against my thought life that at that moment, that demon's power was broken over my mind. Remember, we're talking about oppression. Oppression is upon, possession is within. And this oppression snapped, broke, and I was on the spot set free. Hallelujah. And I've been free ever since. No more panic, no more anxiety, no more OCD. So catadinesteu is a second level of influence that a demon power can exercise over an individual. Can a Christian be catadinesteu? Yes. Yes. I was saved. I was born again. I loved God from that moment. Uh, from, from May. This was in uh, probably July. So this is months later, three months later, two months later. But I had catadinesteo. I was oppressed by the devil and the Lord set me free when I, when I received the truth of his word. Faith came alive and faith is that overcoming force to overwhelmingly destroy and take over what the devil's tried to do in your life. Hallelujah. Faith brings a good report. Faith causes a supernatural turnaround. There was a turnaround in my mind. Can a Christian be catadinesteo? Can people have a deep, Christians have a demon exercise a harsh control over their mind to the point where they're bombarded with thoughts because of the lies that they've accepted and believed? Yes, this happens all the time. We've seen people liberated when we have spoken the truth to them. Number three, level of influence, belos. B-E-L-O-S, Belos. Ephesians 6.16, we read it before. 
Above all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench every fiery dart, dart of the wicked one. It doesn't say diamonitsamaya of the wicked one. It doesn't say take up the shield of faith so that you can overcome the devil within you or overcome the devil uh, that, that, the, whose power you've been under all these years. It says belos, which translated is literally a missile, a dart, or an attack. A missile, javelin, spear, or like an attack. So Paul says one of the levels of influence or one of the, um, the ways a, a demon can inflict harm on an individual, and even Christians were talking about what the devil, if allowed, can do to a Christian and anybody. Paul's talking to Christians in Ephesians 6. He doesn't bring up diamond eats of mine. He doesn't talk about people that are under the power of a demon. He talks about people who have had an attack, a dart, the fiery darts, the intense darts, the sudden attacks, the sudden challenges, the things that arise out of nowhere. Paul said, take up the shield of faith, which is a 360 degree shield that covers you from the behind and covers you to the front. That has the power to extinguish the attack. So can a devil attack a believer? Yes, yes. A demon can attack a Christian. A demon can attack a born-again, blood-bought Christian. Seen this happen. Seen this happen. There's Christians who've had attacks in their bodies. It's a dart sent to kill them prematurely so that they don't walk in the fullness of God's plan. I've seen Christians, they get into an, uh, an accident. They're driving their car, they get into an accident, and then suddenly from that day, because of that accident, the enemy that the enemy uses an attack against their life that all of a sudden their mind carries trauma in it. So that one attack allowed for a gateway for the enemy to now pollute their clean brains, which they never dealt with trauma before, but all of a sudden that one attack opened a door for a spirit of trauma to start lying to them. Once again, that spirit is not within them, it's from the outside. It's from the outside. It was an attack that allowed a door to be opened so that they can start dwelling. Remember, it's the battlefield of the mind. The battle of the believer is in the mind. The battle of the believer is in the mind. Matter of fact, Paul talking to Timothy, he doesn't say, fight the devil with all you've got. If you're demonized, you need to throw something up out of your mouth. You need to go to a deliverance ministry so that they can lay hands on you, pour oil on you. and get. No, he doesn't talk about that. You know what he says? He says, fight the good fight of faith, which the fight of faith is in the mind and in the heart, so that you can lay hold of the inheritance Jesus died for you to have. Hallelujah. So an attack can be a dart, an accident, a loved one dying. Something happening that was sudden, unexpected, out of nowhere, out of the blue. That the moment it happened, you started to have thoughts. Perhaps that can happen to me. Perhaps this, someone in your family dies of cancer or some sort of sickness, terminal illness, and you saw them just wither up, and now you, you looked at them, and the image of their skinny body, their, their, their body that is, is totally been destroyed is seared into your conscience and you're always dwelling that one day maybe me one day maybe me 
That's, that was an attack against a loved one that was designed. Remember, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The attack is in what he steals, the health. The attack is when he kills a person. But then his ultimate, ultimate desire is to destroy everyone that saw the attack. Everyone that was a witness of the attack. Everyone that was, that was experiencing the attack. His ultimate desire is to destroy. He doesn't want to just attack with steal and kill. He wants to destroy. And, and you've, I've seen it happen. I've seen people that they went through something rough. They went through an attack and they let it get to them. And now they got destroyed. Destroyed just means they've been brought to nothing. They've been uh, they've fallen from the position of victory that they were in before, prior to the attack. They let the enemy who came in like a flood take advantage over them, and they were bellows. They succumbed to the attack. I've seen people that had an attack financially wipe them out, and they're homeless. They are never able to regain their business mind, it just wiped out the courage out of them. It wiped out the faith. It wiped out everything they told. Now, on the flip side, I've seen believers attack where they saw it as an opportunity now for God to do something great. For when the enemy comes in like a flood, when he throws a fiery dart, that's the time to raise up the shield of faith. The standard, remember, the enemy comes in like a flood, but the Lord will raise up a standard. That standard that he's given us is that shield of faith that when we raise it up, it quenches the attack. And I prophesy in the mighty name of Jesus Christ today, every attack, every bellows, every missile, every intercontinental missile that's been launched your way to try and wipe you out, to snuff the fire of God out of your belly, to take out that first love from you, to, to strip you of a desire for God, to get you discouraged, depleted, despondent, and give up and quit. In the name of Jesus, that attack shall not flourish. Satan has desired. Remember, Jesus told to Peter, he told to Peter, he said, Satan has desired to sift you as weak, as wheat. He's desired He's launched an attack against you, Peter. But I have prayed for you so that your faith should not fail. Hallelujah. He, Peter didn't say, hey, Satan's in you, Peter. Let's, uh, let's do deliverance right now. You're, you're demonized. He said, hey, the enemy's launched an attack against you. But I've prayed for you so that your faith would not fail. Attacks will come, but defeat is an option. Defeat's an option. You get to choose defeat or you can choose victory by believing God's word. Number four level of influence, and this is where we're going to park on. Daimonitsamai. Matthew chapter 4. And you can see it in other scriptures in Matthew and in Mark. Daimonitsamai. I won't have you spell that either. It's all Greek to me. Quite literally. Ha, ha, ha. If you can't laugh, something wrong. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted by diseases, various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed. So the Bible makes a distinction between torments and demon possession. Epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them all. That word there, demon possession, is daimonitsamai. Different from the word tormented. We just went through three other levels of influence a demon may have over a person. All three of those that we mentioned, a believer or non-believer can experience those things. This last word that I'm about to talk to you, I'm going to show you from the scripture how a believer can never be daimonitsamai. The reason why I believe that is because if you look at the original Greek, 
it talks about possession. I know there's a lot of say it doesn't mean demon possession. It just means under the power of a devil. But it does indeed. I can read you the strongest Greek. This is the strongest Greek uh, commentary on this. It's the TDNT Bible. It's the premier Greek dictionary. Premier. Nothing... I mean, it's the TDNT. I forget what the acronym is, but it's it's $500. You can get it on Olive Tree or, or Logos or whatever. But it's the premier Greek dictionary. And this is how they define daimonitsumai. To be possessed by a demon, originally and in all senses of demon, to suffer from a demon. In Josephus, we find... It to denote particular excitement. Daimonitsumai is used once in the antiquities for possession. So not only in the Bible does it say possession, but even in extra biblical uh, resources, the word daimonitsumai is referencing possession. Here too, the relatively more common popular word for possession seems to be sparsely attested in this sense among Greek-speaking Jews. It is noteworthy that the rabbis have no corresponding verb, and in relation to the synoptic problem, it is significant that this verb is comparatively most frequently used in Matthew. So the very first definition, originally and in all senses, the TDNT dictionary, Greek dictionary, describes or defines it to be to be possessed by a demon, to suffer from a demon. In Strong's Concordance, it says to be under the power of a demon. But it doesn't just mean to be under the power of a demon, because we talked about Catadinisteo, to exercise harsh control over one. So a demon can exercise harsh control over uh, a, a believer's thought life because of the lies that it feeds the believer. However, when we talk about daimonitsumai, we're going a step further. There's a certain level of authority, submission, and will that you must forfeit to a demon for it to have this level of control, this level of influence over, over, over your life. It doesn't just mean to be under the power. It means to be under the dominating power. Of a demon. What do I mean by that? When someone is catadinasteo, that person can speak for themselves. That person, like when I got healed of OCD, which is a catadinasteo, an oppression of the devil. When I got healed, I did not manifest. I didn't speak in a different language. I didn't speak in a different uh, tone of voice. I didn't growl. Nothing. It was this beautiful, blissful, effortless deliverance that took place. I was healed on the spot in my living room in Brossard, Quebec, Canada. But when someone has daimonitsumai, the, de the demon exercises a dominating force over the individual. In that, they have taken control over that person's mental and physical faculties. Very important to make the distinction. The Bible makes the distinction. D they were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed. There's a distinction that is being made here. Doesn't say everyone that Jesus delivered was demon possessed. Diamond eats my. It says that some of them were afflicted with diseases, a spirit of infirmity, or torments, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, paranoia, schizophrenia, OCD. To be daimonitsumai, there is a relinquishing of your total rights to the enemy. You have given the devil 
total right, total freedom to enter in and take full control. It's like when you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, what are you doing? What's the position of our heart to get filled with the Holy Ghost? For the Holy Ghost to indwell the human, the human spirit, the human heart, you have to yield, submit. You have to give yourself over to Jesus. In the same, the devil cannot bypass that. It's actually not as hard, it's not as uh, easy to get demonized as people make it out to be. You were on the road and someone cut you off and you said some things, maybe even dropped an F-bomb, I don't know. And now, oh my God, I gotta, I must have given a gateway. I'm gonna be possessed. I need deliverance now. Do you see the bondage that can be formed? Oh my gosh, I went to a movie and there was a sex scene and I saw it with my own eyes. A spirit of lust has come in. Even though I didn't want to see it, I turned away, but I saw it for a split second. A spirit of lust must have come in. I must go now to a deliverance minister and him cast the demon out of me. He must check if there's something that took root in that one moment. They, they make it way too, it's not that easy. Just like it should, you know, really it should be easy for people to receive the Holy Ghost because you should be yielded and submitted because he's a good spirit. He's God's spirit. But even at that, there's people you pray, there's some people they pray for years, eight years, 10 years, they didn't get the Holy Ghost. Why? Because there's a part in their life they haven't fully submitted and so God will not dwell in them. In the same vein, you have to really relinquish your independence. You have to relinquish everything for a demon spirit to really come and take full possession and control. And when that happens, he assumes control over your mental faculties and your uh, your ability to move and speak. That's where you've seen some people who have superhuman strength. They have to be held down by four ushers, four grown men holding down a 14-year-old girl. I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. She came, got invited by a friend, came to the service. When I went to pray for her, four grown men having to hold her down because she was gnashing at the teeth and growling. And she, men, she was pushing men off. I've seen that. But at this level... We're talking about full control over the individual so that they can even speak through that person's mouth. Mark chapter 9, the boy was convulsing, thrown into fire. That demon had control over that man, that little boy's spirit to the point where he was throwing him into a fire seeking to destroy him. The gathering demoniac was oftentimes in the mountains and in the tombs and he would cut himself with stones and he would screech out and cry out and he came to Jesus and he said we are legion he didn't say hi my name is Gary I'm from Gadarene I'm from Gadara he said I am legion the demon had taken over the sentience of the man the awareness now the man is still there the man still has a level of awareness but there's been a relinquishing of control over to that demon and so as a result there is this Mention of possession, that's why we translate it possession, because not that that person is now owned by the devil to the extent that they're irredeemable, but Jesus himself said this, because I know there's a lot of people that say, well, the devil doesn't own anybody. That's not true, because the Bible says when Jesus turned to those Pharisees, he said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you desire to do. So he said, the Pharisees serve the devil. They belong to him. Ephesians chapter 2 says, you were once children of wrath under the spirit of disobedience, meaning you were part of the kingdom of darkness. You were subject to his government. You belonged. You belonged there. We were, we all, we all had sold ourselves into slavery, the Bible says. We were slaves to sin and Satan. Well, if you're a slave to somebody, that means that person owns you. It implies ownership. 
Now, it doesn't mean that you're irredeemable. I've seen many who had demons cast out of them and they came back into the and, and they came back into the fold. They got saved, they got healed, they got restored. But what I am saying is that the word diamonitamide does imply a level of ownership that is relinquished of our own will. We know, I have set thee before, I have set before thee life and death, Joshua said, blessing and cursing, oh, that you would choose life that you and your descendants may live. But if you choose death, if you choose the devil, mark my words, he will gladly accommodate that choice. He will move in. There's some people that they have literally conducted seances to the devil. They have done demonic rituals. They have offered up blood sacrifices to the devil. They have invited the devil in. Just like Jesus' blood sacrifice allows us to invite God into our life, there are people who have done demonic seances, rituals, and performances that and have shed blood. You know, those abortion, that's why I'm so against the abortion industry. One, it kills innocent babies. Two, it's a demonic sacrificial system that's been set up in modern day to offer up blood to the bales, to, uh, to the, the old ancient gods that have not died. They're still there. Those ancient demons, new day ancient demons. And when they do this, they are inviting demonic power into their life. They're saying they want the devil to take control. That's diamonitomai. It's not easy to slip into that. And that's why I'm leading to this. Can a Christian be diamonitomai? My answer is no. Can a Christian be okleo? Yes. A Christian can be tormented, disturbed, or harassed by a devil. It's from the outside. Can a Christian be katadinisteo? Yes. It's to exercise harsh control over one, power against one. It is to oppress one. Can Christians be oppressed? Yes. Do Christians need deliverance? Yes. We de I, I pray for deliverance over Christians. Deliverance in their mind. Deliverance from strongholds. Deliverance from oppression. Deliverance from sickness. is an oppression of the devil. We read that in Acts 10, 38. Can a demon bellows a believer in that they execute an attack against a believer? Yes. Yes, they may. They can. If given allowance. Let's get into that. If given allowance. And you give allowance by the words that you speak. The actions that you conduct, and the thoughts that you think. But can a Christian be daimonitsamai, to be under the full dominating power of a demon? No. No! Never. Never. For at this level, the demon has full control over the individual's mental and physical faculties. Let me define a Christian. Don't, don't leave just because I said something that, oh, I don't believe, he, I can't believe he said that. No, I thought he was, he, listen, listen to me, hear me out. Let's define a Christian. Because if we're going to see if Christians can have a demon or be under the full dominating power of a demon, then, okay, well, let's, let's we've defined demons. Demons are, are, are those that are in allegiance with the kingdom of hell, with darkness. They're, some of them are fallen angels that have allied with Satan and his, and, 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 um, have decided to sign up to be part of his forces. They are, they are, they are entities. They are real. They have personalities. They have, you know, they have a will. They have a character. So we've we've agreed. We've talked about demons, but let's talk about the definition of a Christian. Acts, uh, Ephesians chapter two. So what is a Christian? Ephesians two. And you, he's talking to believers. So he's about to define what it means to be saved. And you. 
Hallelujah. That's me. That's you. That's you, Grace. Emily, American Top Gunner. That's you, Carrie, Israel, Lisa, Sabrina, Tabitha, Tasha. That's you. And you, he made alive. That's born again. So we know he's talking about born again people here, but let's read on. What does it mean to be born again? Because I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm, I'm alive in Christ. That's it. Praise God. I'm born again. I'm alive in Christ. Well, because you're alive in Christ, because you're born again, you don't have a certain position in heaven. You now have a certain inheritance, and you now have a certain uh, reality, a new creation reality that pertains to you that you, you actually don't fall into the same category as the rest. Oh, this guy thinks he's holier than thou. Yeah, I do, because God has made me holier than thou. Hallelujah. If you're not saved and I'm saved, I'm holier than thou. Because God has sanctified me, blood washed me, consecrated me to a holy purpose. I'm not a stranger. I'm a, whole, I'm a royal priesthood. Hallelujah. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a part of the body of Christ. So I'm not going to talk or expect the same things I used to expect when I was out of covenant with God. And that's the problem when we teach that Christians can have demons and Christians can be daimonitsamai, is that we're telling them that you actually shouldn't change your expectation that if you, once you weren't a Christian, you can expect those things to happen and you had no control over that happening and you should constantly seek deliverance, deliverance, deliverance. But now that you're a Christian, nothing's changed. No, now that you're a Christian, everything has changed. The old has passed away. The old reality has passed away. Whatever was able to happen to you before can no longer happen to you in Christ. Christ because I'm in a different category I'm in a different class Ephesians 2 you who were who were dead in sins and trespasses he made alive in which you once walked which implies I no longer walk according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air who's the devil he's talking about the devil I don't walk according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience so Paul's saying here, the spirit of disobedience no longer is at work in you. Hallelujah. Because you've not received the spirit of this world. You have received the spirit who is from God. 1 Corinthians 2. How could you have received the spirit who is from God and also have the spirit that comes from this world in the same housing unit, which is your body, soul, and spirit? You can't. You now have received the spirit... You, you have not received the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You've received the spirit who is from God. Among whom you also once, past tense, conducted yourselves in the lusts of the flesh. You were fulfilling the desires of your flesh and of the mind. You were by, children, by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love which he has for you. He, made, when you were dead in trespasses, made you alive together in Christ. By grace you are saved. And he raised you up together and made you to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show to you the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're a new creation. And let me make this very clear to you. God would not make a new creation that can be indwelt by the old, the old stuff. God did not make a new creation that can be dwelt by an old devil. God did not make you a new wineskin so you can carry the old wine. God did not recreate you in Christ Jesus 
so that you can be indwelt by demons and that you can have demons and still be under the subjection of those demons. God created you in Christ Jesus, not for demonic works, not to be a housing unit for the devil, but to be one used for good works prepared before and that you should walk in them. Verse 11, therefore remember, Paul is trying to make a distinction. You were not in Christ, remember what life was like, but now you once were Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands. At that time, you were without Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God. You were the devil's playground, brothers. But now, verse 13, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace. Verse 19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole body being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are now built together. Verse 22, for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Hallelujah. You're a part of the body of Christ. You're no longer a stranger or a foreigner. You've been connected. The Bible says you have been joined to Christ and have become one spirit with him. And you are now a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Hallelujah. You've been joined together with Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality is sinning against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Because you have a lot of people that say, well, diamonetsamai, to be under the power of the devil, we don't believe that the demon has come into the spirit of the person, but we just believe that the demon has come into the mind, has actually access into the soul of the man, or has accessed the body of a man. But the Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he's talking about sexual immorality and sins outside the body. He's actually talking not about the body of Christ in general. He's talking about your physical body. Don't ever detach the relationship between your body and your spirit. Because that's a doctrine, a heretical doctrine called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism taught that, the Gnostics, they taught that your body was separate from your spirit. Your spirit was saved. Your spirit was sealed by the Holy Ghost. But your body could indulge in sexual immorality, could indulge... Uh, in, in hooking up with hookers and prostitutes because your spirit's been redeemed. Your body is just like the excess trash that needs to be gone, done away with anyway so you can do whatever you want with your body. Paul makes a correction. He says it's actually very spiritual when you connect this body with a harlot. If you read the verses preceding what I just read, it says when you connect yourself with a harlot, you join together. We talk about, you know, the spiritual reality behind sexual intercourse. There's a connection. There's a link being done. Well, Paul says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God. 
belong to God. Your body belongs to God. And God's not going to share that body that is his, that's sealed by the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to share that with an unclean spirit. You remember, Jesus said, I'm come to make you a new wineskin. And so I can put the new wine of the Holy Ghost in you. God didn't go out of his way to shed the blood of his holy son, Jesus, cleanse you, wash you, redeem you, take away the consciousness of sin, justify you, clean out this vessel, this dirty, unclean thing prior to Christ. He cleaned out so that the blood of Jesus has made it so clean that God himself said, you are my habitation, you shall be my dwelling place. He didn't do that so he can share the dwelling place with the devil. He didn't shed the blood of his son Jesus to make things clean for the devil to come and dwell and come inhabit. He shed his, blood, his son's blood so that we can be made clean vessels that he can inhabit. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Bible says this. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is open wide. You are not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. Now return for the same. I speak as the children. You also be open. Verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship, listen to this, what fellowship, what connection, what common points does righteousness have with lawlessness? And what communion what communion, what link does light have with darkness? And what accord, what agreement? How can they dwell together, Christ, with Belial, who's the devil? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You're the temple of God. These demon spirits, they've got idols that have been fashioned after their liking. And he's saying, how could you put an idol in the temple of God? In the same vein, how can a demon spirit that these idols are fashioned after, how can that demon spirit come into the temple of God? It's impossible. For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them. I will dwell in them. I will dwell in them. When he dwells in you, guess what? Every foreign thing has to clean out and pack its bags and go. And when does he dwell in you? He dwells in you at salvation. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So come out from the unclean things. Separate. Don't touch what is unclean and I will receive you to myself. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Hallelujah. So what's the definition of a Christian? It's one who is in one spirit. One spirit with Christ. One who's joined as a living stone. Matter of fact, let me read that out of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. I'm trying to teach you, because if you understand the doctrine of soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation, what happens to you at salvation, if you'll understand this, then you'll find out that it's actually quite impossible for you to have a demon as a Christian. Now, if you're just tuning in now, you're going to have to rewatch the broadcast because I went through the four levels of influence. But that final level is daimonitsamai. And as a Christian, it is impossible to be daimonitsamai, to be fully controlled, dominated by the power of a devil. Now, let me, let me make this statement. You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. What part of the body, which Jesus is the head, remember? But think of it this way. If Jesus is the head of the body, 
to say that you as an individual are fully dominated by a demon spirit and under the control of a demon spirit, you are in essence saying that part of Christ's body has been controlled by a demon and has been compromised. You're saying that Jesus being the head, we the body, that if we actually have a demon in us, that part of Christ's body, because you have to see yourself as a unified front, we're a unified force, that part of Christ's body has been compromised and that there's actually demons in the body. Think of it. If a demon cannot get into the actual, nobody would ever say that Jesus Christ can be demon-possessed. No way, no way. You're, you're, I don't even want to talk to you. You're, you're a lunatic. Well, you're part of the body of Christ. You're a member in particular. If a demon could not inhabit his body, then what demon do you think has the right to inhabit part of his body? I'm part of his body. I see myself as part of his body, joined together. Listen to this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, coming to him, this is talking about when you came to Christ, when salvation happened, you came to him as a living stone. Remember we said he made us alive together in Christ Jesus. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You're being built up a spiritual house. A house for who? A house for the Holy Ghost to dwell in. So what does it mean to be saved? It means, one, we're no longer strangers to God. We're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the house of God. Two, we're brought near by the blood of Jesus. Three, we have been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Four, we're part, physically part of the body of Christ. Six, we are one spirit with Christ and indivisible. We are seven housing residential units of the Holy Ghost on the earth. Hallelujah. So now that I've made my definition of what is a Christian, a new creation, and we're talking about Christians and demons, can, my question to you now is knowing what we just read, do you still believe that a demon can fully take over, have execute? Total dominion and control to the point where the person's mental and physical faculties have been compromised and yielded, subjected to that demon. Is that even possible? Absolutely not. Now, I know that there's some examples in the New Testament that people use, and I'm going to go through these, of people who were supposedly Christians that had demons. Well, number one example that I've heard the most... Um, mostly used is Matthew chapter 8, Peter. Peter, Jesus, the Bible says, actually it's Matthew chapter 16, my bad. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter replies, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say to you, Peter, you, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and raised again on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, far be it from you, Lord, that this, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me, and you are not mindful of the things of God, 
but the things of men. Many have interpreted this to mean that Peter, or Jesus rather, turned to Peter and said, you are demonized. You came under the power of Satan himself for a little while. Here's why I don't believe that. Well, first of all, let me say this. Even, which it's not, I'm going to explain. But even if it were true, that Peter was demonized. He wasn't. But even if it was, here's my argument there. Peter wasn't saved. Yes, he confessed that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. But just confessing Jesus as the Christ is not what gets people saved. You understand, there were many Jews in that day that said, could the Christ do anything more than what Jesus is doing? They confessed him to be the Christ too. They knew him to be the Christ too. There was rumors going around that Jesus is the Christ. But just believing Jesus is the Christ is not going to... That understanding, just that understanding alone is not what brings salvation. It's what the Christ went on to do. And the understanding of the full work of redemption... See, they, that's why Peter took him aside. He didn't understand salvation. He knew him to be the Christ, but he didn't understand by what means salvation would come to mankind. He pulled him aside and said, you'll never die. There's no way you're going to be betrayed and crucified. What is this talk? He didn't understand the means by which God was going to bring redemption. So Peter could not even be saved. He didn't even know what salvation was. He just knew he was the Christ. He thought he was going to come and make war against Rome and bring this physical kingdom right then, right then and there. But that, just understand, the Jewish understanding of Messiah is not enough to get someone saved. The Bible says what actually gets people saved is when they accept that which is a stumbling block to the Jew and foolishness to the Greek. Christ crucified and Christ raised from the dead. So even if you want to say that Peter was demonized, Peter wasn't even saved at this point. Then they'll say, well, Judas, Judas, Satan entered Judas. You have a hard time convincing me that Judas was any, anywhere near saved. He was stealing from the treasury. That's not fruit worthy of repentance. He was going to split hell wide open whether... He betrayed Jesus or not. He was, a, he was a thief. There were many things that he might have started off good, but he fell away at some point. He fell by transgression, the Bible says. And the transgression, I don't believe it was just the rejection of Christ and selling him to, to the Pharisees. It was over the years that he was traveling with Jesus, he was, he was completely in, 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 in the act of of stealing. He was, he was a thief. He was violating one of the great Ten Commandments. So he was not saved. He never gave up. Matter of fact, when uh, an offering was given to Jesus that the equivalent of it would have been a whole year's wage, he got mad. Ah, because it was, he saw opportunity. Oh, wow, I can take that in and I can sell that and I, that's another year paid off for Judas. He got mad. That's not the fruit of someone that's saved. That's the fruit of someone who's unredeemed, who does not love God or love people. So you can't use Judas. Nobody in the gospel era, and you can't use Peter in this, because nobody in the gospel era was saved until John chapter 20, after they had seen him raised from the dead, and he explains to them from the scripture how the Christ ought to have suffered and rise again from the dead, and that now repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then he breathed on them, and he said, now that you believe, receive the Holy Ghost. That's when they were saved. That's when the Spirit convicted them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's when they were truly born again and then 10 days later after Jesus ascended on high the birth of the church and it's been 
it's been uh, growing ever since then. But going back to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus turns to Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are not, you are an offense to me. Now, you have to understand a hermeneutical law in interpreting this passage, because people are saying, well, look, Jesus wasn't talking to Peter anymore. Jesus was talking to Satan that was in Peter. That's an improper interpretation of the scripture because there's a law of uh, double reference that is recurring throughout scripture. And you have that in uh, Genesis 3, when God spoke to the serpent. When God spoke to the serpent, he was not just speaking to a creature. He was speaking to the devil, the spirit behind the creature. And so there is this law of double reference that oftentimes when God's speaking to someone, there is another person being referenced. There is another individual, there's another entity that what Jesus or what God is speaking is equally applicable on that end. How do, what, what do I mean by this? When Jesus turned and said, get behind me, Satan, double reference, the first reference was to Satan, actual Satan. Because remember, Satan didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. Satan didn't want redemption. Satan didn't want atonement for the sins of the people. So Jesus is rebuking Satan because Satan was trying to discourage Jesus from drinking the cup that he already in the flesh didn't want to drink. He said, can this cup pass? Is there another way, Lord? But if not, not mine will, but thine will be done. So Jesus is first rebuking Satan because he was trying to discourage Jesus just like he did in the garden, in the wilderness. He tried to discourage him in breaking his fast and just eating. And he tried to discourage him here and just abandoning the mission. For this cause was I born, Jesus said, to go to that cross. And Satan was trying to discourage him from following through with that mission. But he's also speaking to Peter because he's saying, Peter, you have lent your voice. You have lent your opinion and your mouth to the opinion of the devil. He's not saying, Peter, you're demonized. Let me cast the demon out. Because if, if Peter was demonized, why didn't Jesus cast the demon out of Peter? Why does it not end like that? Why doesn't it end with, hey, Mark, get me the oil. And then he prayed. Why didn't that happen? If he, if he truly was demonized, why didn't Jesus cast the demon of Satan or the spirit of Satan out of Peter. It didn't happen. There's no record of it. And you can't assume it ever happened. Jesus was saying, Peter, you have lent your voice to a demonic opinion. That's what he was saying. You're an offense to me. Satan was offending Jesus and trying to back him down from his mandate and mission to go to the cross. And then Peter was doing the same. That's why he finishes off by saying, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. That God, uh, Jesus is directly speaking to Peter. And he's explaining why I just called you Satan. And I'm explaining why you've just been an offense to me. Because obviously, Jesus is not talking to the devil. You're not mindful of the things of God, but of men. Obviously, the devil's not mindful of the things of God. He's a father of lies. And of his own nature, he speaks lies. He doesn't, he doesn't, mind himself with the business of God and the business of heaven other than maybe to prepare himself on his end but that's it so this final line is actually Jesus addressing Peter specifically and he's saying the reason I called you Satan and the reason I said you've offended me is because you took your eyes off the things of God 
You're not mindful. You have no clue what I'm about to say and what I'm about to do, Jesus was saying to Peter. You're mindful of only the things of men. You want me to come and establish this earthly kingdom. You don't even know that what I just said, that you tried to say far be it, that it'll ever happen, that that very thing is the thing that's going to bring, that very work of redemption is the thing that's going to bring you into reconciliation with God the Father. That's what's going to get you delivered, set free, and liberated from sin and the laws of sin and death so that the law of the Spirit of life can dwell in you. So we just properly, hermeneutically, dissected that verse. The conclusion of it, Jesus was not saying, Peter, you have a demon and we need to deal with that. Because if that were the case, he would have cast the demon out. And then secondly, we see that the double, the law of double reference is being applied here. In that, yes, Jesus is addressing Satan and the offense that Satan is to him. But he's also saying, Peter, you have, he's not saying the devil's in you, Peter. He's saying, Peter, you have lent your voice and you have lent your, your opinion to a lie, to a lie. Number two, we went through it. Example that people use that Christians can have demons is um, Judas. And we talked about it. Judas was not saved. The Bible says he fell by transgression. And that obviously happened before Satan entered Judas. He was stealing from the treasury. Number three, Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight, listen to this. I might make this into a little booklet. Have it like transcribed. Acts chapter 8, verse 4 through 8. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. So he's preaching the gospel for the very first time to those people of Samaria. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Heeded. Means they listened to him and many believed. But what? generated that desire to pay attention? What generated the faith to listen to, Phil, to Philip's message? Heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. What miracles was he doing? For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. So you see here, Philip is preaching the gospel. People are heeding what he's saying because there are many who are not redeemed, many who are not saved, that were not born again, that were getting saved in his meetings. And once they got saved, at the same time, Philip was taking authority over unclean spirits to drive them out. To drive them out says the people got saved when they saw him driving demons out of other people. Who? Obviously, there was a lot of witchcraft and sorcery because we read about Simon the sorcerer. So no matter what lifestyle they had before, the moment they came to salvation, Philip preached the full gospel, not just get saved, but we're going to take authority over any darkness that's crept in and we're going to drive those demons out. We're going to fulfill the great commission. Ye shall cast out devils. We shall expel demons. And he was driving demons out of people that were coming to Christ. And when other people saw that happening, then they said, hey, we believe. And they came to Christ too. But to say that Philip was casting demons out of Christians is not mentioned and you cannot assume it. And the Bible, the Bible doesn't mention that. 
The Bible does not mention that. You cannot assume it. You can't, you can't just use that or, or stretch it out so that it, it fits your doctrinal position on that. Miracles were the catalyst that made those Samaritan people listen to the gospel. It says that the people, the people got saved when they saw the miracles which he was performing and unclean spirits were coming out. So it actually says the unclean spirits were coming out as they got saved. Not they got saved months went by as they were living and volunteering at the local church. And then finally Paul came in or Philip came in and said, hey, guys, I forgot to mention, by the way, uh, we got to do a teaching on deliverance because it's separate from salvation. No, let me make this very clear to you. God's ultimate, ultimate purpose in salvation, the moment one his his the perfect will of God that when people receive Christ. This would happen. This is the perfect will of God, that they would be saved, regenerate, and reborn by the Spirit of God, at the same time healed of any sickness and every disease that they carry, and at the same time, every demon be driven out. When people, see, whenever someone manifests in my meetings, and I cast, and it's a real demon, immediately I lead them in the sinner's prayer. I lead them in the sinner's prayer. Because I know that they've heard the gospel, they've experienced power, but now... There's a vacancy in their hearts that they need to fill with Christ. Lest, like Jesus said, the demon come back and see the house empty sweat and put in order. And he comes and gets seven more spirits, more wicked than he, and they inhabit the place where they were dwelling before. And the latter state of the man is even worse than the first. So Acts 8, it actually teaches the opposite. It teaches you that the moment you get saved is the moment you get delivered. Hallelujah. Ananias and Sapphira. Let's skip to Acts chapter 5. I'm going to start with verse 36 of Acts chapter 4. Because the people say that Ananias and Sapphira were full of the devil. And they were saved. They were believers. They were Christians. The Bible doesn't teach that. And there's nothing you can say that it does teach that. Acts 4.36. And Joseph, whose name was Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Acts chapter 5 verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife. I want to pause there because the Bible doesn't say and a certain believer. And oftentimes if you read the history of Acts, when it re references a believer in a certain place, it'll say and a certain believer or a certain brother. It, 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 there's this familial language that's being used because they're part of the body of Christ. There's this honor bestowed on them. Here it says a certain man, which signifies that there was no connection in the spiritual realm. He might have been around it, just like there's people in church that they sit next to you and they'll split hell wide open. Just because you go to church, just because you're around it, does not mean that you're part of it. And that's exactly why God executed such strong judgment on these people, is to show the rest of the people. The Bible says great fear swept over the whole land because he, God wanted to show, hey, Apart, being a member of the body, you better take it seriously. You better not be a hypocrite. You better not be uh, playing, playing the, act, the actor's role. You better be serious and uh, not be a tear amongst the wheat because God guards his, the body of Christ. God, uh, his, his desire is not just to grow the body, but to guard the body. And so these people, the Bible doesn't say, and a certain brother named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. It says a certain man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a possession 
The fact that it says it's a certain man shows that this man is not part of the body. Well, no, the Bible says that they were at the meeting. Oh, yeah? You ever go to a church service? You think everyone in the church service is saved? The Bible talks about there's men that are tares amongst the wheat. The Bible talks about even men who disguise themselves as angels of light when in actual fact they're ministers of Satan and the desire of Satan they desire to do. He kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, And Ananias, where has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Was it, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. And the same thing happened to his wife in the following verses. But here we see one, my number one point in this. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they were believers and they had a demon. It says Satan filled their heart to lie. First of all, the word there is pleru, which means to fill up or to complete or to bring to completion. So what Peter was saying is that Satan has filled your heart with lies and instigated you to lie and do the same to the Holy Spirit of God. He's not saying Satan himself has come and lived in you. He's saying Satan has filled your heart to lie. So Satan has inspired, has inspired, instigated, and generated these ideas, these lies and deceptive ideas. And you know, the reason why I read verse 36 of Acts chapter 4 is because you saw Barnabas sell land and bring it to the apostles' feet and they were applauded, they were, they were revered and honored. And so my, uh, my opinion on this is that Ananias and Sapphira desired to do the same, to receive the same level of honor, but they lied by keeping pack, back pro, part of the proceed. So they wanted to get Barnabas's reward without getting Barnabas's or having Barnabas's sacrifice. And so they lied and Satan filled their heart to lie. Hey, if you just bring this money and say you sold that piece of land, they'll honor you. You'll have the same. You'll be the next deacon in the church. They'll honor you. They'll position you to be uh, uh, um, on the board. You'll be a board member of the church. Maybe your daughter will even get into the choir this year. Praise God. So Satan filled his heart to, with all these things to lie. He didn't, it doesn't say Satan himself filled Ananias' heart. It just says that he filled his heart to lie. Deceptive thoughts, ideas that were dishonest. Number one reason why I don't believe, first of all, that they were even demon possessed. Secondly, that they weren't even they weren't even Christians, because their heart, their motives, their whole the whole thing was off. But then my other point that I bring up in discussing Ananias and Sapphira is: let's say they were Christians, and let's say they were demonized, which they're not. But let's say they were. Why? Did Peter execute judgment on them so that they were struck dead on the spot? Surely Jesus didn't say, and as you go, these signs will follow them that believe. You shall kill demon, demon-possessed people. It says you will cast out devils. If they truly were demonized Christians, why is it that they did? Peter didn't just take authority over the demon? Why didn't Peter just cast the spirit out of Ananias and Sapphira? Why did he execute judgment on the people so that they dropped dead on the spot? Makes no sense to me. 
It doesn't make any sense. 1 Corinthians 5. So those are the examples that oftentimes are used to justify the position that a Christian can have a demon. I showed you very clearly using proper hermeneutics and going through the original Greek that none of those people that carried demons or had demons or were demonized or uh, were, were diamonetsamite, none of them were saved. And some of the examples used, the people themselves were not diamonetsamite. I explained that in Peter's case, he was not demonized, demon-possessed. There's the law of double reference being used there. And uh, it has nothing to do with demon possession. It can't even be, you can't even use that to teach deliverance or teach demon possession. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to this now. Now we're going to get into, well then, what if I feel like I have a demon? You know, I, I have uncontrollable lust. I have uncontrollable anger. I have, is this a demon? Listen to this. I'm going to finish with this. 1 Corinthians 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. Paul is saying there's such a demonic level of sexual immorality among you that even Gentile people, even those that don't even know the Lord, even those that don't have a standard of holiness that's been given to them that have nothing to do with the thrice holy God, thrice holy God even those people can't even conceive the warped, perverted, sexually immoral things that you guys are doing. Notice this, though. That a man has his father's wife. You are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this might be taken away from you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present with him, who, he who has done this sin. In the name of Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So isn't it interesting that Paul says there's demonic immorality that's being conducted by this one person? But why didn't Paul say he needs to go through deliverance? Why didn't Paul say, hey, we need to teach him our deliverance course. We need to talk about generational curses and all that. Why did Paul just say he needs to be dealt with, judged, and, and, and thrown out until he repents? Until he's crucified his flesh. Until he's learned to put his flesh under and learned to subject his, his life to the will of God in holiness, which the Bible says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that each of you should keep your body as a holy vessel unto the Lord. So why didn't Paul just, why didn't Paul just tell him, hey, go through deliverance. Apollos is coming through. He knows how to do it. We'll get some buckets out and you can throw out that demon of sexual immorality into that bucket and you'll be free. Don't worry about it. It's not you doing it. It's the demon in you that's doing it. Don't worry about it. This guy had a drive to sexually immoral actions. There's some people, they're driven to pornography. There's Christians that watch pornography and they're trying to break free from that. It doesn't mean that there's a spirit of sexual immorality at work in you. It means that you need to learn how to put that thing under. Galatians chapter 5, listen to this. Galatians chapter 5, another place where Paul had every opportunity to say, hey, if you're angry, it's a demon of anger. If you are uh, if you have greed, it's a spirit of greed in you. No, he says what? The works of the flesh are evident. He doesn't say the works of a demon are evident. And if any of these things are happening in your life, you need to seek deliverance with your local minister. 
Call, uh, contact us. We'll have schedule a private one-on-one -on -one Zoom deliverance. It says here, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, idolatry, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, hatred, sorcery, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissension, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I've told you before. And if you practice any of these things, go and see Brother, Ta uh, Brother Taylor. He's going to go and help you out. No, it doesn't say that. It says if any of you practice such things and you haven't put it under, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, um, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such thing there is no law. And those who are Christ's, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, we'll also walk in the Spirit. So a lot of times, and this is where I, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to be more strong on this moving on forward, is because a lot of times... When deliverance is taught and everything is the blame game, and I'm not saying they're all like this. There are, I have great friends, like I said, and I love them very much. They're not all like this. But there are some people, it's the blame game. I woke up confused. There's a Leviathan spirit at work. I woke up and I felt entangled. There's a Python spirit at work. There's an octopus spirit trying to strangle. Everything's the spirit of this, spirit of that, spirit of that. And, and this is what I'm going to finish on. There's no responsibility placed on the believer's life for their own self-discipline, self-crucifixion, self-subjection to the will of God, fasting, prayer. There's no responsibility given to the believer for his own renewal of the mind. You know, not all anxiety is a spirit of fear or a spirit of anxiety. Some people need to renew their mind by the word of God. You have to flush out Years of bad thinking and pump good thinking into you. I love what Sabrina said. They don't need deliverance. They need discipline. And that's the reality a lot of the times. 100% of the time when it's a Christian. It's not deliverance. It's discipline. I have, I have a demon of lust. No, you need to learn to fast and pray. Get in the word so that that part of your flesh, lust. Notice how it says the deeds of the flesh are evident. Lust. It's part of the flesh. Yes, yes, there is a demon of lust, 100%. If you're not born again, blood bought, blood washed, there are people you see in strip clubs, driven to strip clubs to spend all day there and, and just watch. And, and they, they, that's like the environment they feel comfortable in. They're driven to it. Drug addiction, they're driven to meth. They're driven to alcohol. They're driven to certain places and certain paraphernalia, 100% I believe in, in, in people being demonized. But for the Christian, the Christian, it's called repentance. For the Christian, I can't, watch, stop, I can't stop watching porn. I already talked about this. Your own confession puts you in a vicious cycle and loop of pornography addiction. Because you said, I can't stop. Instead, say what the Bible says. The Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I am free. Instead, say what the Bible says. Greater is he that lives in me than he that is in this world. That there's no sin that has stronger ability than the ability of righteousness that Christ has put in me. 
There's no sin that carries a capacity to keep me bound when Christ's righteousness has been imparted into me. And righteousness is not just a position. Righteousness carries a fruit, which is repentance. Instead of saying, I, I feel like I have a demon of alcohol or a demon, instead say, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I've been set free from the laws of sin and death. I've got the law of the Spirit of life working in and through me to accomplish His good pleasure. I'm not, a, stop saying I'm, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a porn addict, I'm a drunk, I'm a drug addicted, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, oh man, I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, uh, I'm Italian, man, I'm, I'm quick, quick tempered, I'm hot, short fuse, man, you, you don't get on my bad side, but instead of saying that and then wondering why, oh, I think I have a demon of anger, instead say, I've got the fruit of the Spirit working in me, which is love, joy, peace. I've got the fruit of love. I've got the fruit of joy. I've got the fruit of peace. I've got a peace running like a river out of me. So most people remain bound, not because a demon is at work, but because their own confession is working against them. And this is where I get into strongholds that are oftentimes self-inflicted because, you you know, the devil operates as he's always operating. In the Garden of Eden, he came to Adam and he said, just eat of the tree, for if you eat of it, you'll, you'll, you'll see good and evil. You'll, you'll be like God. The devil didn't push Adam to do anything. He just sowed deception into him. Jesus comes along. If you are the Son of Man, the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. The devil didn't make him eat. He didn't do anything like that. He just sowed a thought into him. He tried to create a negative stronghold to lead him in a certain direction. In the same vein, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices and deceptions, lest we also should be taken advantage of him by him entering in through these demonic lies and building strongholds of the mind, which end up becoming these fortified fortresses that make us more calloused towards truth. And that's where I see a lot more believers uh, in bondage. It's not diamonitzamide. They're not under the power of a demon. But the demon from the outside has sown enough lies that they've received and believed. You see, deception is far greater than being lied to. You can be lied to. Deception is when you believe the lie. That's how the enemy operates. And that's why Paul says when he went to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, he says, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds, the pulling down of strongholds. And he says this, he says, we are here to cast down every imagination of the mind and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's the responsibility of the believer. That's what we, when, you know, I'm not, like I said at the beginning, do Christians need deliverance? Yes, but oftentimes they need deliverance from a stronghold of the mind. And that, see, this is the reason why I think the, the easy deliverance stuff is, is, is so appealing for a lot of people is because they believe if I just go to that event, I'll just get a hotel, I'll go to the meeting, he'll wave his hand over me and I'll be delivered, praise God. But in actual fact, Paul says, you want deliverance, renew your mind. By the washing of the water of the word of God. You want to get out of that cycle of anxiety in your mind? You need to stop being fed the lies and chewing them and digesting and ingesting them. And you need to start 
going on a word diet, on a scripture, a truth diet. And when the truth comes in, it expels the lie. Hallelujah. Now, going back to what I said before, I do believe in, four, in three levels of demonic influence that can affect a Christian. I said it before. A Christian can be harassed, molested, and tormented by demons. A Christian can be attacked by a demon, a sudden onset of some crazy flow of events that make no sense, that come out of nowhere. And then number three, a Christian can be katadinasteo, oppressed by a devil. And I'm going to pray for you right now. If, that, if any of you fall into that category, those three categories where you know it's not within you, like me in the OCD, I didn't have a demon in me, but there was a demonic oppression and resistance against me. And I got delivered of that. It came off my it, That power was broken over my life. It was never in me. I was not demon-possessed. I was saved and sanctified. But there was an oppression. There was an affliction there. Some of you may relate to that today. And you need deliverance. And I'm going to pray for deliverance for you right now. And we're going to believe that the power of the devil is going to be broken over your mind. If it's sickness and disease in your body. That we're going to take authority over the plantings of the devil in your mind and in your body. And we're going to uproot them by the power of the gospel and the Great Commission. Because remember, Jeremiah 1.11, God told Jeremiah, I have this day appointed you over nations to uproot and to destroy. And that's what we're going to do. The power of God is here to uproot and destroy every satanic affliction, harassment, torment, and torture that he's sought. Uh, he sought to to destroy you in life with. In Jesus' mighty name, in the mighty name of Jesus, for those that are watching me right now, I thank you, Lord, for this redemptive truth that we are members of the body of Christ, uninhabitable by demons, inhabitable only by the Spirit and presence of Jesus, by the Holy Ghost. I thank you that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But your word says, if any man defiles the temple of God, you would destroy and oppression is a defilement of the temple of God. Any hand, any demonic entity that has stretched forth his hand towards you, towards your body, towards your life, towards your children, towards your mind, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, by the keys of the kingdom, I bind that satanic work. I bind it. I break the attack. I cut that hand that's been stretched out towards your, hand, your house in Jesus' mighty name. The shield of faith quenches every fiery dart of the wicked one right now. Every oppression of the devil is broken. Every form of harassment ends today. Every satanic visitation against your home gets evicted today. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I set you free by the keys of the kingdom. I loose I loose the fire of God into your life right now. In Jesus' name. You will not be oppressed. You will not be harassed. You will not be under the devil's feet. The devil shall be subject to you. You shall rise up high. Seated in heavenly places. Far above principalities and powers. No longer. No longer. To be bullied by demons. But rather, God sets you on the attack today to bully the devil from this day onward in Jesus' name. It ends here. It ends now. You will not be harassed. You will not be tormented. I break every torment of the mind in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
interactive with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.